You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It is a hot week, and why not a very hot weekend? lot to talk about in sports, and our special guest, a little bit later in the show, we will be talking to ex-New York Giant, two-time Super Bowl champion, running back, Brendan, a.k.a. the Dog Jacobs. Speedy Petey, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be headed to the Mets game on Sunday with my uncle and my family. It is my uh, early birthday gift. My birthday officially is on Tuesday. 27. Yes, turning 27 indeed. 27 championships for the Yanks. <laughs> yes, 27 championships for the Yanks. But I'm not a Yankees fan. I'm a Mets fan. I'm going to City Field for the first time in a while feel bad for the Mets-Padres game on Sunday night. So looking forward to that. Well, and then over the next week, it'll be Yankees-Mets. Yes. Starting, I think, Tuesday, if Tuesday, I'm not mistaken. Yep. Very interested to see what happens in that series, as the Yankees didn't look good coming back from the All-Star break, losing a doubleheader against the Astros. But the Astros are a good team, and the Yankees have a pretty hard schedule coming up. So it'll be very interesting to see what the Yankees are going to do. There's still 12 games ahead in their division, which gives them a, definitely a breathing room. But just because there's breathing room, there's still a lot of baseball left. And being that they're in the hardest division in baseball, it's going to be a really interesting next couple of weeks. Juan Soto rejects a 15-year, $440 million contract from the Nationals. And the two teams that are the 10 to one or 12 to one odds of getting him are the Yankees and the Mets. We've been hearing Patrick Corbin could be added into the trade, which could lower the price of some of the prospects. Donovan Mitchell seems to be on his way out with Utah, could be heading to New York, which a lot of people predicted was going to happen before the season ended with Utah and the Dallas Mavericks in the playoffs. You saw that Julius Randle, Worldwide West, and Allen Houston were over there enjoying themselves and scouting, which they're getting obviously scouting. going to be paying a lot of fines from the NBA, but scouting these two players, so it might come to fruition. They got Jalen Brunson for 106, and why not bring in the other star in Donovan Mitchell to give him the trifecta? So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. So Donovan Mitchell could be a Nick. We will also get into Matthew Kachuk, star player from the Calgary Flames, could be reaching his way out of Calgary because he has come out and said he will not sign an extension with the Calgary Flames. What does that mean? Well, there is a team here in New York that are looking for a winger that could play with Matthew Barzell. Why not? New York Islanders. Well, will the Islanders have to trade to get a 24-year-old young star and stud from the Calgary Flames? We'll get into some football as OTAs are coming around the corner. Deshaun Watson coming out and saying some interesting things. If the NFL suspends him for the season, he will take them to court and sue them. So Deshaun Watson coming out and saying his own feelings 
about what is going on in his career, which has been two years of no football, and he just gets a $200 million contract for not playing. I wish I could do that for 200 and some million dollars. The MLB and Rob Manford are forced to give $185 million settlement, money following 21 lawsuits involving many minor league players. So uh, we'll get into Rob Manford and his disgrace of a commissioner. But first things first, Donovan Mitchell could be on his way to New York. This isn't a surprise. Anybody that sits here today and thinks that Donovan Mitchell going to New York is a surprise, well, I don't know what you guys have been listening to. I don't know if you've been following Donovan Mitchell. He grew up a New York Knicks fan. He grew up in New York. He expected the Knicks to draft him when he was drafted at 13 by the Utah Jazz. They decided to go with Frank Nilakino, who is now, who knows where? Dallas. Dallas, (laughs) where Jalen Brunson was, who now is with the New York Knicks. The interesting thing about Donovan Mitchell and this story is the fact that Danny Ainge, who can't stand the Knicks, can't stand any team that he is not running. And we have seen what he did with the Celtics, robbing the Brooklyn Nets and robbing many different teams. The L.A. Clippers over the years, taking away draft stock, making that Rudy Gobert trade just a couple of weeks ago and really putting their team right there with a tremendous amount of draft stock. Not only their own, but now draft stock from the Timberwolves. I am not surprised that the New York Knicks and some of the stories coming out of the Utah Jazz is they're trying to get as many, many draft picks as they can for Donovan Mitchell. And with some of the young players that the Knicks have, the Obi Toppins, the Quigleys, the Grimes, a lot of people thought the centerpiece of this trade would be Grimes. But I don't know if the Knicks are willing to trade him. And now we're hearing that it could be Obi Toppin, Quigley, and could be up to five first-round draft picks. Now, Donovan Mitchell, I believe, is a game-changer. I don't know if it's going to help them win a championship because he is not the defensive player he once was coming out of college in Louisville. Brunson is not a defensive-minded type of player. He's more offensive-minded. So how are these guys going to fit in the Tom Thibodeau offense? But not only just that, the New York Knicks have been craving for a superstar since Carmelo Anthony. Nobody wants to come and play here in New York uh, because the New York organization has not won They have an owner that likes to spend, but also likes to open up their mouth. And when you look at both the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks, with Kyrie Irving and KD playing on the other side of the state, you would think that most players would want to play with them instead of going to New York and playing in Madison Square Garden in front of the world's greatest fans. Donovan Mitchell has come out and said that he cherished the opportunity to come here in New York and try to win a championship. This is not going to be easy. Danny Ainge is not going to make it easy. And the Knicks are going to be betting against themselves because Miami, they don't have the the players and a draft stock to do it. And they don't have the salary, the cap over there to do it. Maybe it's Phoenix. Maybe it's one of these other teams. I don't know who is interested in making a move for Donovan Mitchell where you're going to have to trade away a ton of draft stock to get him. So I think the Knicks are betting against themselves. I think the Knicks are going to be bidding against themselves. They need to sit back and relax. Let Leon Rose wait until Danny Ainge reaches out to them and practically begs them to take Donovan Mitchell. And that's where the Knicks put themselves in a very good position to get him at their own price. Yeah, Utah is in an interesting position now where it seems like they're definitely now committing to the rebuild because Rudy Gobert, the trade that they made, Danny Ainge being 
being stingy, getting four first-round picks and getting two good young players, too. It seems like they're trying to build for that. I thought initially that maybe they wanted to win with those guys and the other veterans that are still pretty good on their roster, but still Donovan Mitchell now being asked to seek a trade. And those other teams that you mentioned are either one in more in the market for Kevin Durant or two just too cash-strapped right now to be able to deal with that. I thought a while back that Atlanta was going to be the team that was going to go after Mitchell, but they went after DeJounte Murray instead. And now that leaves the Knicks really as the main team with, like you were saying, bidding against themselves and trying not to let Danny Ainge fleece them and take advantage of them because Leon Rose really hasn't done any kind of drastic move like this yet in terms of a big trade. He's a guy that was a former agent, not really any executive experience at that level. And now Danny Ainge, who's been in that business for a while, is going to try to fleece him. But it is encouraging that Quentin Grimes is not including in that trade because he was the guy that's been coveted around the league in so many other trades too. So the fact that they could get him for Quigley as being that guy in Toppin, who I don't really want them to trade, but for somebody like Donovan Mitchell, definitely could be worth it if they don't have to trade Quentin Grimes as well. In terms of the fit for Donovan Mitchell, if he does become a Nick, yeah, there's definitely some questions with his defense the last couple years. Some of it, I think, is effort-based, too, because him and Gobert didn't get along. He definitely seemed like he quit certain moments of the playoffs last year, but I don't think he's necessarily unskilled defensively. He just fell off from where he was when he was drafted. Jalen Brunson, yes, definitely room to grow, but if Tom Thibodeau can groom R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle and guys that weren't great defenders before that into good defenders the way they did in the system in 2020, who says they can't do it with these guys either? And then there's the Brooklyn Nets, who are still trying to figure out what they're doing with KD and Kyrie. I have a feeling that these two guys are going to be there by the beginning of the season. Kyrie Irving, there's no way the Lakers are going to get unless they give up at least two first-round draft picks and maybe a player. They don't have any young players that really stand out because they traded them all away. They weren't into the rebuilding stages. They were into winning now. They won a championship in the COVID era and then haven't really done anything ever since. I think they're getting older. LeBron is looking on his way out of there when Bronny comes into the league, if he does come into the league. And I think their chances of winning another championship are starting to slimmer. But I think when you look at the Brooklyn Nets in the position that they're in, they got to really understand what they are and what they're going into next season. Now, if they keep KD and they keep Kyrie and now they have Ben Simmons at 100%, they could still compete against the more dominant forces in the Eastern Conference. And we talk about the Knicks if they had a Donovan Mitchell and Brunson. The Knicks, even though they probably have more depth and better depth than the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets have the better of the three players. So a lot of people are going to look at KD and Kyrie and Ben Simmons as a trio that can dominate in the Eastern Conference. But I don't know if they all fit together. Obviously, Kyrie and KD have not fit together since they've gotten there. They can't stay healthy. They brought James Harden in, another superstar that they thought would fit and work with, like they did with OKC with Russell Westbrook. It didn't work. Harden is now gone. All three of them wanted to be gone. I don't know what this team is, and Sean Marks is really starting to itch his head and wonder where this organization and where this team is going to go. So if I'm sitting here today and I was a betting man, I would bet that KD, Ben Simmons, and Kyrie will be playing in Brooklyn by the beginning of the season. Yeah, it seems like the Nets are really stuck right now just because of the conditions of so many different trade packages. DeAndre Ayton can't be traded now because he only signed an offer sheet matching this Pacers offer sheet last week, and so he can't be traded until January. And the Heat, same kind of thing with Tyler Hero right now as they try to negotiate a contract with him. He wants to be a starter. And I think, as a result, the Nets, being that those are KD's two teams, are going to be stuck. Now, also, the market is really showing that 
teams are concerned as well that Kevin Durant, one, off the injury, and two, struggling in the playoffs the way he did, too, might be something that they might not want to trade that kind of price of what the Nets are offering, because we've seen the Nets go after the Suns. A lot of big trades with them already. The Timberwolves with a completely unrealistic trade package with Edwards and Towns for Kevin Durant. So teams are realizing, okay, if that's the price the Nets are going to want, if they're not willing to swoop down, we're not going to go trade for Kevin Durant. So as a result, the market has stalled. As far as Kyrie Irving, there's still some hope from the Lakers, really, but that's really it at this point. The Spurs earlier in the week were mentioning that they would be interested in helping them facilitate a three-way trade and take on Russell Westbrook's contract as well to take on a couple first-round picks from the Lakers in order to do that. But the Lakers are really running out of draft picks, and we know the Nets, they don't have any. They only have pick swaps at this point, so they don't have anything really to help with that. So they probably are going to be stuck with it at this point in the trade process. I feel like if the trade were to happen, especially with Kevin Durant, it would have happened already. So looming more and more likely that that's going to happen. So they're going to have to hope that these guys can run it back and go for kind of a throwback identity and run those stars, which isn't just winning with very little depth anymore. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some baseball conversation as the New York Yankees and the New York Mets betting on Juan Soto. I don't know what is going on here in New York. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? How about they both don't get them and move forward? Who the hell knows? When we come back, we'll get into some baseball after the All-Star break here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every Single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Oh, my God. When have we ever spoken about two New York teams fighting for the same player? I don't remember. And with the Mets over the last couple of years, with the Wilpons and not spending money, now they are encouraged to spend money as their owner in the last two seasons has spent over a billion dollars on players. And I remember for years Mets fans saying that the Yankees bought their championships, which is not true. And I've remembered for years Mets fans complaining their owners don't like to open up their pockets. And now the Mets have one of the best young prospects in baseball in Alvarez, a catching prospect that looks really, really good. Beatty, who's in the top 20. They're finally bringing players in from their farm systems that have achieved and have gone somewhere like the Pete Alonzos and McNeils and the Groms. You sit here today and you wonder, is it worth trading away those pieces for a young star like Juan Soto. Now, Juan Soto is a talented player. 23 years old, won the home run derby this year. Didn't take the 15, $440 million contract from the Nationals. I can't see the Nationals trading in the same division. Most teams don't do that, even if they get absolutely overpaid for those players. They don't want to see those players for 16, 17 games for the next 5, 10 years. So I don't know if this is going to happen, but boy, oh boy, if the Mets pull something like this off and the amount of money that their owner has thrown to their baseball team, the Mets are going to do everything they can to win a championship, which they haven't won since 1986. And I think when I look at this betting war, and I don't think the Yankees are going to outbid anybody because I don't see them trading away any of their top prospects for a player as good as Juan Soto when they have a player that they can re-sign who probably is going to win an MVP at the end of this season. But if Aaron Judge doesn't want to be there, 
and the Yankees are trying to fill in that spot before the season's end and add an outfielder of this magnitude, they got to make sure that they're not trading away their future. Now, there is no guarantees for these prospects. We've seen a lot of prospects that came from the Yankees farm system that hasn't worked. The guys that they traded for, Justin Sheffield, went to Seattle trading, never turned out to be anything. Frazier, never turned out to be anything, came from that Cleveland trade. Torres did. Florial, yeah. And Florial was another prospect that never really turned out to be anything because of injury. Right. You look at Dominguez and Volpe or Pariza. These are guys that a lot of people believe are going to be good players in this league. But that's a thought, not a guarantee. Juan Soto is a guarantee. But is he a guarantee that you're willing to trade away your future and a significant amount of money to a player that, yes, is still very, very young, but who knows if he can cut it in New York? That's always going to be an unknown for any player. New York is definitely a different type of pressure animal. But Juan Soto, his second year in the league, he's already breaking single-season, postseason game records. Carried that lineup. That lineup was not that great. They had a bunch of scrappy guys that made it work. Brian Dozier, Howie Kendrick on that team. But that team was not overly loaded with talent. Juan Soto really carried that, and the pitching did all the rest. So that kind of thing definitely is an upgrade for any contending team that wants it. As far as the contract itself that he rejected, 15 years, 440, you can't blame Juan Soto for doing that. His average annual value would have been only the $29 million, which would have been 15th in baseball. And I think later on in that contract, it's going to be a lot lower when it comes to other guys getting paid and also just the true value of the contract that isn't going to be as high to be based on payroll and just based on the market value. So I think Juan Soto did the right thing in terms of getting the best for him. I think he wants an eight-year deal, and I think he'll get it somewhere else. As far as the Mets, now the Mets, it's definitely going to be a lot tougher because they're an NL East team to be able to do it. The Nationals are going to push harder from the Mets and any other NL East team that tries for it. Now, the other interesting facet of it is they're also trying to maybe look to move Patrick Corbin's contract. Now, they could do that in a different trade. If they want to include Corbin's contract in the same deal, I think that could be something encouraging for the Mets because, one, they wouldn't have to trade as many prospects. Still a lot. It's still going to be pricey. Alvarez will be in the deal. I would imagine one of Beatty or Vientos or I think they Mauricio have to trade them all. If you're in the, the same deal. division, I would say the Mets would have to trade their four top prospects and a player on their roster yeah. right now. Which seems to be either McGill or Peterson from the stuff we've heard. Plus, they the got to pay this guy. Now, here's why I like Corbin, not that the contract's great for what he's pitched the last two years, but the Mets do need a lot of lefties, too. So I think it'd be worth the price of having to trade less because it's going to be a drastic amount if they don't take on Corbin. They're going to have to probably give up six players in total if that's the case. So from the Mets standpoint, I would rather take on Corbin. I think there's other teams that might be willing in that boat, but not a lot of owners that are going to be willing to pay from these other teams we've heard that have been interesting. I think the only chance the Yankees have in doing that is if they already know Aaron Judge is leaving. If Aaron Judge goes to the front office and says, I'm going to walk at the end of the year, I'm going to go seek $300 million on the West Coast where I want to play. They're not going to announce that to the public because that's going to diminish any value that he has in terms of a trade if they do. I think they already know that. If you're hearing their names getting brought up to the Juan Soto thing, I think they already know Aaron Judge is not coming back. And I don't think that's even something that the players are going to want to know either too because it could put pressure on them. This is like a last hurrah type thing for Aaron Judge. I think Aaron Judge has already told the players that he's not coming back. Maybe some. I don't know about all, but nevertheless, I don't think it's something they want to publicly announce if you're the Yankees. So it's something they want to keep in-house. So it's only something if Aaron Judge went to Brian Cashman and says, I am definitely leaving, that would be actively pursue a Juan Soto deal. Now, the Yankees don't need the pitching depth like the Mets do when it comes to taking on Patrick Corbin. They take but, Patrick Corbin. But I do think they would be encouraged by that, too, to not have the same prospect. They wanted Patrick back. Corbin. Yeah. If that means not having to trade Volpe, for example, 
I think the Yankees would consider it. They trade Peraza, they trade Dominguez and a couple other prospects. And like the Mets, maybe one guy on their current roster that isn't as good. Sure, I think they would do that kind of thing if they want to trade Volpe because I think they're very high on Volpe. I agree. And I think when you look at the Yankees and the position that they're in, I know everybody likes this Juan Soto and I know no Yankee fan wants to see Juan Soto go to the Mets. I don't think it matters. No. It's the only way it will matter if the Yankees and the Mets play in the World Series. Right. It doesn't really matter. Now, does it hurt the thought that the Yankees are getting outbid by the Mets and the Mets are now the hunter and they're the hunted? Yeah, I guess that would bother a Yankee fan because the Yankees have always been big spenders. But I think as the Yankees organization knows and Brian Cashman knows, and Brian Cashman is going to be asking for a new contract at the end of this season too. He's a free agent. I expect a lot of teams to be reaching out to Brian Cashman. Who knows if Brian Cashman is even a Yankee next year? Right. He could say, you know what? I'm jumping ship. I'm going to the Mets. I'm going to get a piece of the team. Maybe he'll follow Aaron Judge. Yeah, he'll Steve, go somewhere else. <laughs> maybe Steve Cohen tells Brian Cashman, listen, I'll give you a percentage of the team. I'll give you 2% of the team or something like that. He'll pick up and leave because he knows he owns a piece of it. So I don't know what's going to happen with the Yankees, but the Yankees have always done it right. That's why they're a winning organization. Right. That's why they haven't had a losing season in 30 years. Say whatever you want about the organization and for what they are. This team is still going to win without Aaron Judge. If they didn't have Aaron Judge in this lineup right now, they'd still have the best record in baseball. Maybe not as high, but they would. No, but they'd be up by five, six games still yes. in their division. Yeah. So you sit here today, and if you're a Yankee fan, if you're an Aaron Judge fan, are you happy for what he said at the All-Star game? And saying the way he said it, that the Yankees don't need me, and if I'm on the roster or not, they're going to still be a good team. Him saying that doesn't reassure you that he's coming back as a Yankee. Now, does that sell you that he still can come back? I don't know. What I do know right now is if Juan Zota becomes available, yes, the Yankees are going to reach out to the Nationals and see what they want and see if it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense and ownership doesn't want to go out there and pay this man, even though he is 23 years old, and if you do give him a $400 million contract, in five years, Giancarlo Stanton's contract's up. Yep. Garrett Cole is the player option. Garrett Cole has a player option who can opt out of his contract. It still makes sense that you still get the player that you want. But I don't know if Juan Soto is going to fit in here in New York. Yes, his swing is perfect for Yankee Stadium. He's a left-handed power bat. That's something that the Yankees do love over the years, and they don't have one. Most of their power bats are on the right side. If they get Juan Soto, that's the Mark Teixeira type of player that will feast in the Yankee Stadium. Everybody believes left-handed power is the feasting place for baseball. So that's why I think the Yankees are intrigued with Juan Soto because he's a lefty. And being that Giancarlo is a righty, so having a lefty-righty type of power, it makes sense. Also, remember, Juan Soto had the lowest chase rate in MLB last year. That's encouraging for a Yankees team that they lead the league in strikeouts all the time. Aaron Judge has led the league in strikeouts in certain years. Giancarlo Stanton's done it a couple of times in his career, too. So having a guy that can at least put the ball in play, even if they don't hit home runs, is also encouraging, too. And Juan Soto was an MVP candidate last year. Should have won MVP in the shortened season in 2020. Had high batting average, so definitely the type of hitter the Yankees could use definitely could fit. But yeah, the pressure always is a different element in New York, too. It's something that some players can handle, some players can't. We'll see if that ends up being the case. As far as the Yankees' value for Juan Soto, yeah, the national I don't think they'll ask for more because they're an American League team. That'll no. be it. Now, the Nationals, I don't know if they're in a position to necessarily be too hard on that kind of thing just because they're so bad right now. Their farm system's really bad right now. Even if they hit on all the prospects right now, they'll still be bad for at least four more years. So they might not be able to be too picky with the American League, National League type thing, but the Yankees definitely have the farm system to make that kind of thing work. Going back to the judge, I want to say Brian Cashman will have a plan, too. If he's still there, he's not going to be somebody that's going to say, Aaron Judge, yeah, we couldn't get a deal with you. We're going to 
struggle for a while. No, he'll have a plan of what to do with that money. I don't even think they need to worry about that because they can take that money, give Luis Savarino that money. They can make a move for Jacob DeGrom and add another pitcher to that roster. They can sign all the pitchers that they have and still move forward with the lineup that they have. And they still have Jason Dominguez, who will probably be called up in a year and a half next year sometime. He could fill in for Aaron Judge, and they believe he is the future of that organization in the outfield. And he's the center fielder, too, and has a great arm. So I don't know what the Yankees are planning to do, but what we're hearing with Juan Soto, the Yankees and the Mets are definitely the two lead teams to get him. Shout out to Giancarlo Stanton winning the MVP, a 455-foot home run, two-run home run that tied the game and helped them win that game. So shout out to Giancarlo. Also with this MLB Rob Manford, $185 million settlement. I am not a big Rob Manford fan. I think he's the worst commissioner in sports. I think he's horrible. I think there's a reason why Theo Epstein did not take any job. He had an offer from the Mets. He probably a blank check would not take that job, even though he could have and helped the Mets win a World Series like he's done for the Cubs and like he did for the Red Sox. I think in 2024, 2025, there'll be another voting for the commissioner. If the commissioner Manford will get the job back because I think Theo Epstein is going to make a push to try to get that job. I think it would be the best thing for baseball to get this guy out of the commissioner position. I don't I don't think this guy is very good. I think this guy has made the game a mockery ever since he took over for that idiot Bud Selig. I sit here today and this $185 million lawsuit should have happened a long time ago. This has been going on for years. Bud Selig screwed this up and it just keeps on peeling and peeling even more. And now the players are trying to find a way to support their families. It's a shame what is going on in baseball when you have players making $400 million, $300 million. And I know it's the minor league and some of these guys are never going to see the day of life, but these guys work their butt off, just like these professional baseball players. And when they're making only $50,000 and they're trying to support a family and a roof over their head, it is disgraceful for what baseball has done to them. It's a mockery. I think Rob Manfred should be ashamed of himself. What's he make? $25 million a year? He's a complete disgrace to the game of baseball. And yes, $185 million isn't enough. I think they should drop the hammer. And this man should be going into his own pocket and taking care of the players. It's despicable what the ownership has done and all the teams have done to their minor league teams, their triple, double A, single A teams. There should be some kind of growth of money every single division and every single league that you jump from one to the other. It's despicable. Yeah. Absolutely disgrace. A disgrace not only for these minor league players that should be getting a lot more money than they should. At least I would say even waste five times the amount of money they've gotten. I think the maximum salary for these minor leaguers is 14000 They should be getting at least $50,000. we have seen NBA G League players get in the range of $100,000, $200,000. Now, granted, there's not as many levels of baseball with that, so that's understandable. Every why. level, you should be going single A, $50,000, double A, $100,000, triple A, because you earned a triple A, $200,000, $250,000, and then the majors, uh, automatic million dollars. Yeah. This is disgraceful. It's also disgraceful when it comes to just a raw economic perspective. They're breaking minimum wage laws. That's something that can't happen if you want to operate any kind of business, any kind of operation. These guys are making less than that is disgraceful, too. And they have families to take care of. These aren't high school kids. These aren't college kids. There might be some ages that might be like that. Yeah, they could commit 16, 17, whatever. But some of these guys have families to take care of, families to support in other countries, too. And they're not getting it because they're making $2,000 a year or $14,000 a year.
year. That's disgraceful. It's terrible. Shout out to these minor league players that were able to fight for this lawsuit, too. A lot of former minor league players. I think the guy that really led the operation was from the Marlins, a guy that was a minor league journeyman. Because these guys aren't always going to get called up right away. And they want to make career as professional baseball players. Some guys just have a love for the game and want to keep going with it. And they shouldn't have to be forced to struggle in their everyday lives because of that. I saw the NCAA tournament, the college players get better treated than some of these minor league baseball players got. And they are professionals. They are in a professional team's organization. They should not be treated like this. So shout out to them for winning that lawsuit. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to ex-New York Giant two-time Super Bowl champion, running back Brandon the Dog Jacobs here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LA News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. We've been waiting for this guy to come back on our show, and we're happy to have him. We are now talking to two-time Super Bowl champion, running back. Brandon Demon Dog Jacobs. Brandon, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing much, man. Oh, well, we're happy that you're healthy. I know last week you weren't feeling that well. How are you feeling today? Is everything okay? Still a little bit stuffy, but I'm okay. I can't complain. I'm above the sauce, so I'm good. <laughs> Speaking of sauce, the Jets got one. <laughs> I know you don't like that. He's going to be saucing up the fields of New York Giants and Jets Stadium over there. So MetLife Stadium will have a little bit of sauce. I, I know it's not something that you want to hear because you're a Giants guy, but Sauce Garner is going to be rocking here in New York for a while. All right, Brandon, you could have ran him over in your day. Sauce is a phenomenal talent. The guy's great. Went to a smaller school in Cincinnati, and he proved everybody that you could still go get drafted high coming from a school like that doesn't have to be a power five school which i think cincinnati is now on their way to no, the big 12 sauce was the best db in the draft easy so brandon why don't we go through what the giants have done this offseason they brought in dable they brought in a new gm the organization is going another path over the last couple of years it just hasn't worked for them really ever since your team has retired we talk about some of the greats eli manning this isn't the same team what were your thoughts with their draft obviously adding thibodeau and one of the best offensive linemen in this draft. And really, throughout this offseason, what stood out to you the most? What stood out to me most was, one, we needed an edge rusher. So Thibodeau is going to actually be the first guy since Jason Pierre-Paul that we kind of excited about. Definitely excited to see him roll. And I think they drafted the big lineman, Evan Neal, big right tackle from Alabama. We got Andrew Thomas on the other side and Evan Neal on the other side. So I think our bookends on the offensive line is going to be pretty special. I think we got a chance. And I still believe in Daniel Jones. I want to see Saquon stay healthy. If he stays healthy and could have a, just an above average season, I think he'll make the Giants that much better. So the big dilemma with Saquon struggling to stay healthy, they got to pay him soon. We've heard this mantra of now running backs not getting paid as much. So do you think the Giants will end up paying Saquon and does he have to stay healthy this year in order to prove it? He have to stay healthy this year but if he stays healthy or not the Giants isn't going to give him what the Cowboys dumbass Cowboys gave <laughs> I like to see guys get paid that's not why I'm calling them I just don't like them so I'm glad Zeke got paid I think McCaffrey got paid as well I don't think the Giants is going to put that type of money on a running back 
Saquon could come out and rush for 1,500 yards and have 25 touchdowns, I still don't think they're going to do that. I think that they're cut to do that. As everybody knows, we are talking to two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs. Brandon, the Giants have a very interesting schedule going into the season. Game number one is against the Titans. Their schedule gets very, very easy going into the middle and end of the season. Do you think that this Giant team could, because of their schedule and because of their division, win nine or ten games this year? You said the middle toward the end of the schedule could be very, very easy. Because I realize those teams you're saying it's easy, they might be looking at the Giants the same way because we haven't had any thing to smile about the last few years so why should we feel like it's easy i do think we can win 10 games it's all about health though you gotta stay healthy there's always the healthiest team in the end is going to be the most successful team it's been like that for the last 50 years in the nfl if you can stay healthy down the stretch or at least be mentally and physically tough enough to play through an injury i think your team is going to be okay we've seen this offseason a lot of players forcing their way out getting more power across the league now i don't know if it'll ever get to the same level of the nba but can you see the nfl kind of having that level of player power with certain superstar players and key positions like that? No. I don't see that happening ever. The NBA build power teams. They build super teams. Philadelphia Eagles tried to do that, and it did not work out for them. They had everybody and their mom on their team, and they didn't even make the playoffs. I think that was actually yeah. <laughs> the dream team, allegedly. I don't see a lot of NFL teams gravitating toward it because it's not that many stars. They don't have that many big names at each position where you can create a team like that. But I just see the NFL with the rules and the way things are going. It's going to be interesting for me to see where the league ends up in the next couple of years. Brand- and you look at the running backs that you played with, Earth, Wind, and Fire, what you had over there with the New York Giants when you won the two Super Bowls. And now you look at the Giants with Saquon Barkley. And everybody remembers when Saquon Barkley was drafted. He was a top three pick. And everybody was questioning the Giants in the top three. Saquon wasn't the final piece to help them win a Super Bowl. Why would you go with a running back? And you saw what the Giants did in the time that you guys dominated. You had three guys that helped in many different ways. Do you think the Giants have gone the wrong route when it comes to the running game? Or do you think they're going the right route with Saquon Barkley? I definitely think they're going the right route. Drafting Saquon where he was drafted at was big time. They can help the team out. You know, I think he rushed for what, 1,300 yards? 1,300 yards his rookie season, yes. Yeah, like the year after that, and did the same thing. And then he got hurt the last two years, coming up on year five for him, correct? Mm-hmm. He's actually proved that he was worth every dime that they paid him when he's healthy. The kid, I mean, he's a phenomenal talent, still a generational talent. So I want to see what he can do this year. And I think the Giants went the right route. When I was there, we had me in the fourth round, Derek Ward in the seventh round, mm-hmm. and my pressure in the seventh round. And we ripped off two Super Bowls. Derek and I rushed for 1,000 yards together, same backfield, and then me and the mod came close to it the year after that. So we're talking about a fourth-round pick and two seventh-round picks. So you just never know. Drafting and free agency, it's just like pissing in the wind. You don't really know what these guys can do. You don't know if he's just a good college player at dominating college. is not you out here with grown men that got kids to feed and wives to keep happy it is not the same like i think some of the only guys who can pan out as first round picks that you know is going to be good is edge rushers and that's about it from player to coach now tom coughlin what was he like and do you have a great tom coughlin story that maybe a lot of fans don't know about coach coughlin man is a phenomenal leader i would not be led by anybody else i would not go into war with anybody else other than coach coughlin we had it out we had our disagreements like sometimes but i love coach to death and would never pick anybody like he's that guy like i remember he told me a long time ago he said every time Ahmad is late for anything he was gonna fire me because i'm <laughs> supposed to be the leader i'm like what the hell is that like where that comes from like are you serious you're supposed to be the leader of the group and you're supposed to make sure your guys is on time all the time okay 
That makes sense. Take out of my pocket. Gotcha. Makes sense. But I was on his ass from that day forward. (laughs) (laughs) As everybody knows, we are talking to two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs. I remember those Super Bowl teams. And what the Giants built around was the trenches. They built around the defensive line. In the first one, they had Michael Strahan and a young O.C. Yuminor. And in 2011, they had Justin Tuck and then O.C. Yuminor. They built around the defensive line, and they always had a very strong offensive line. Do you think that's the way of going? Not necessarily the quarterback, the star quarterback, is building around the two parts of their line. That is the way to win a Super Bowl? I agree. Get your every other year, you get your offensive lineman. Then next year, you get your edge rusher. Then you go find you a DB that third year. Because anything offensively, other than alignment, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to get out of a wide receiver. You haven't been covered by top tier players every Saturday. You're going to be covered by top tier players every Sunday, Thursday, Monday. You're going to be covered by somebody that's physically gifted as you are. So I think going offensive line and defensive line is always your best bet as far as drafting talent. So that whole offseason before the 2017 season, and there was that whole saga with Tiki Barber before he retired. What was the surrounding noise with that and also the player interaction like? Was there any signs? Tiki could have played another two, three years from what I saw. He rushed for 1,800 yards his last season. His year 10, 1,800. You don't get that. He told us at the beginning of the season in the running back room he was going to be done. And as the season was gone, I'm actually getting nervous and more nervous and nervous because I now it's my turn to step up. But I'm like, Tiki, you sure you want to leave? Like, you, you just rushed for 1,800 yards, bro. Like, what are you leaving for? Like, that's definitely leaving on top, but still think he got a few years in and he said he had some other things he wanted to do so he's definitely retiring and that's what came of it man we never talked about it again we wished him well loved him to death and just took it over and, and went with it as everybody knows we are talking to Giants two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs Brandon you played in the NFC East for such a long time you hate the Cowboys you probably hate Washington and you more than likely hate the Philadelphia Eagles in order who do you hate the most and why well I hate the Dallas Cowboys the most <laughs> almost the point to where empty building nobody in the building i kind of drop an airstrike down on it and let's see what all that money jerry got down there and how fast he can build another facility and stadium i hate the cowboys i absolutely hate them and it's not even the cowboys and the quote-unquote success that they had to make me hate them because they don't have any of that the fans of the cowboys that's the people who make me really hate them they always how about them boys and this that like every year you're going to be great every year you're going to win it and they seem to not respect any other franchise in the nfl to me, that's just piss poor fandom. You don't like the game. You like some mirage star that's never going to be there in the end. <laughs> so, Cowboys and Washington and Philly could kind of fit in there together. I don't really hate them as much as I hate the Cowboys. Washington never really posed a threat to us, and Philly did at some points, but those were great football games. I love Philadelphia fans. They're crazy. They don't have it all. They're not wrapped tight, whatever you want to call it. Like, they lose cannons, and I think I like that. They lose cannons, all right. They're throwing things on the field. Too. Or eating crap after they win a Super Bowl. It's perfectly fine. When I was the league, they will find you, but forget they tell you something disrespectful, you trying to tell them something disrespectful. I used to like playing in Philly because you never know what it was you were going to get. After you won the Super Bowl, would you go out in the street and try to pick up horse crap and try to eat it? Nice and clean put his ring as a devil. Absolutely. Them right. boys crazy. That's just what it is over there in Philly, though. Like, you know what you're going to get. I want to go back to what you were saying about the Cowboys fans. Isn't it great how they always have the mantra of, this is our year all the time? <laughs> this is it. Every year. They do have my favorite player over there, Michael Parsons, though. That boy's a beast. I wish the Giants could have drafted him last year. But, again, it was some other funny trade stuff that went down that kept them from doing that. 
Speaking of linebackers, when you played, whether it was in the NFC East or across the league, one defensive player, when you broke a tackle of his or juked him or whatever, that you were like, oh yeah, I, I got the best out of him. Well, breaking Ed Reed's tackle was pretty good. Outside the NFC East, I gotta say Ed Reed, like breaking a tackle of his, that was pretty good for me. But the greatest competitor I've ever competed against was Brian Dawkins. Hands down. I didn't say he was the best player. I said he was the greatest competitor that's a big difference he's gonna be there in the end he's gonna emotionally lead his team there he's gonna physically put his body on line for his team and he's gonna be there in the end did he have better safeties than Doc? probably so but they didn't have no better safeties than Dawkins playing the run. He might have been able to cover a little bit better than Doc. But for us coming down and playing the run, the boy was there. It was the greatest competitor I faced. Easy. We are talking to Giants two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs. I remember he played the Jets Christmas Eve 2011. I was at that game. And the Jets were mm-hmm. playing pretty good football. And I remember that Victor Cruz touchdown that really changed the game. Really changed the emotion of the game. And then all of a sudden, after that game, the Giants started playing good football got into the playoffs and completely dominated from one game to the next game to the next game. What were your thoughts that year when you beat the Jets on Christmas Eve? Was that the game that really changed everything for you guys? Maybe so. We had so much surrounding that game. The takeover New York, like they're taking all our accomplishments down off the wall because it was actually their home game. But they didn't know their lease was up that game. So they had to pay the lease and I don't think they made the payment so we kicked them out of the stadium. They tried to cover up our Super Bowls and it was actually our locker room on our side they, it had nothing to do with them even seeing the trophies and the Super Bowl stuff up there. Nothing to do with them. They were just being assholes and trying to really abuse their authority because it was their home game. But we politely took their little curtain down and politely laid it on the ground and went out there and kicked their ass. Thank you. I'm a Jet fan, so you make me feel so much more happier having you on the show. I love you, man. Well, FC Championship game like the year before that. Brandon, I would agree with you because I remember that game. I was at that game and I remember what the Jets were bragging about. I've said this to Rex Ryan. I've talked to Rex Ryan about that game and I said if you're going to do the things that you did before the game, you either put up or shut up and the Giants pretty much laid the smack down on you and he admitted it. He said it, especially in the second half. He was out coached by Tom Coughlin. And that's why Tom Coughlin, in his words, is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Rex Ryan, one of the best defensive minds of all time. People say it to this day. But Tom Coughlin always had the best of Rex. Always. And he said it. Tom Coughlin was just that much smarter than he was. Tom Coughlin will have you prepared to fight a war. If the NFL was fought with guns and hand grenades, the Giants would be undefeated. That man will have you ready. And he always has some sort of somebody, some highly ranked military guy come talk to us every week. Every other week, you have a guy in there that has been on the front line or something in the military to tell us about their story and how football compares to fighting and supporting one another and it was just great that he always had those kind of people around like the guy had us prepared to play football I can't lie about that he had us super prepared and he made sure we knew everything about our opponent a teammate that's maybe more under the radar any good stories with any of those teammates on either one of the championship teams Deion Grant in the second Super Bowl, he was a tremendous leader on the defense, tremendous leader for our team. He was only year 11 at that point. So I think Deion Grant is really, really one of the guys that really helped us win the Super Bowl. Played in Seattle. I think he went to the Super Bowl with Seattle. He hadn't won one yet, but coming on with us and being a leader, I think he's one of the guys on there that I like to give credit to on one of the reasons why we actually pulled it out defensively. He was there, of course. As everybody knows, we are talking to Giants two-time Super Bowl champion running back Brandon Jacobs. How many fights did team get into played for Coffeeville and still hate Garden City? 
I can't stand Garden City, and we used to get in a fight all the time. <laughs> but a lot of people don't understand about junior college. When I went to junior, it was a lot of at-risk kids. You got at-risk kids going to one school and competing for a spot, 12 out-of-state spots on a team of 55. So you get all these kids coming from these different hoods that just wasn't eligible to go to Division One. was just bad as hell. I can't stand Garden City, and, and when you play, it's the same thing. You got a bunch of at-risk kids that's out there playing against each other, and big fight break out every week. But I can't stand Garden City. Their mascot was the Bronco Busters. What, <laughs> what the hell is a Bronco Buster? <laughs> We've seen a lot now with Eli Manning more off the field than we did with the Manning Cash this year on the Monday Night Football. Have you heard any of that? And if so, like, what does that show about his personality? And do you have anything about his personality that maybe a lot of fans wouldn't know? I'm glad they ended up giving him that show, and I'm glad Eli ended up accepting it because people could really see his real personality. That's Eli's personality. That's it. He's a jokester. He's going to prank you. He's going to do stuff like that. He's just not this real loud and obnoxious guy. It's just not him. Like, that was me. It just wasn't him. So I'm actually glad they had the opportunity to do that show so people can really see his real personality what we saw in the locker room every day. Brandon, your son in 2025 took the offer from K-State, trying to be what his father was, a successful college football player and then an NFL player. Tell us a little bit about your son. What type of player is he? Well, Braden is a big old young man, should I say. He's 6'6". Six, six about 310, 312, something like that. He's 15, plays right tackle. He's really good at it. One of the top tackles in the country. Important man, like whatever it is he want to do. He got he has 18 Division One offers right now. So the sky's the limit for him. You know, he's a great kid. The way he is, like if you meet him, you would never think that he's that guy. You would never think that he's got them all in people. You would never think he's a big, nice kid, man. I love him to death. The kid's going to be special. I'm just here to support him on whatever it is he does and wherever he wants to go to school. I just wanted to be somewhere decent where the coaches are great and the coaches are going to be there. That's it. Thank God the players are starting to make some money. They should have been doing that a long time ago. It's wrong the way the NCAA, when you're using these guys' names and these guys are top prospects and they're only playing a few years, they're not even finishing their college degree and they're helping your team get a play in those bowl games where you're making an extra 10 or $12 million opening opportunities for you to open up new libraries and new things that for your school. These players should have been making money a long, long time ago. You know, they still aren't paid by the university, so they still keep all of their money coming from the local businesses in those towns where the schools are. Now, of course, it's worked by the schools, but the schools aren't giving any money to the kids. Mm. You have a local business in the area. Right. That's going to pay a kid $500,000 or whatever mm-hmm. it is. That's how it goes, man. So the school's still getting off pretty good. Good. Braden will be taking care of you soon, Mr. Jacobs. Hey, man. Well, I should make it to retirement. <laughs> You're not retired yet? What are you doing over there? I should make it to where I get my retirement. I right? got you. <laughs> it doesn't hurt having a six foot six, almost 300-pound youngster who's 15 years old and looking to really spark his name up, not only for what his father has done, but for what he could do in the future. You should show him some tape of your teammate, Kareem McKenzie. That'll help him out. Uh, big peach. <laughs> Just remember who Kareem McKenzie was drafted by. <laughs> let's remember uh, who he succeeded the, with. So wasn't Kareem drafted by the Jets? Yeah, that's right, he was. <laughs> and let's remember where he succeeded. So he just walked from, I guess it was Long Island at that point? Well, it was New Jersey, because they played in the same stadium as you. No, no, I know that, but I'm saying at that time, the Jets didn't have the facility in Florida, yes. did they? Yes, no, they didn't. So mm-hmm. he just came on right from over there and, and became an instant winner. Look at that. There you go. All right, Brandon. Stop it. Stop it. Stop slicing <laughs> it. 
Giants winner. My New York Jets. I'm tired <laughs> of this. We get Giants on this show all the time. They like just slipping in it. They know I'm a Jet fan. Everybody knows I'm a Jet fan. So every single Giant we've had on this show, every one of them, they like to crack jokes. They're like, you know what? I'm going to throw you a curveball, Mr. Marks. And why not? Brandon Jacobs throwing another one. Oh, he, got, he lived in Long so, Island. So let me ask you a question. Go so, ahead, hit me. So what was it like growing up, like in the Jets, never, ever have an opportunity to cheer for them at the height of life? Everybody asks me that question. What made you want to be a Jet fan? It's so funny. I was six years old. I actually knew what football was. I was watching my first football game, and it was a Jet game. And I remember it very closely. They were playing the Houston Oilers. And I remember that game, and the Jets won that game. And for some reason, I just loved the green and white. And all my friends growing up were all Giant fans. For some reason, I just liked the underdog. The Jets were the underdog every single year because they never won. And I just wanted to root for the underdog. And they've been the underdog ever since then. So people ask me, what was it like being a Jet fan when I never got to experience them even playing in a Super Bowl? It's not easy being a Jet fan as anybody knows but there is one thing a jet fan is a dedicated fan they have always stuck by their teams nobody's going to turn on their team they believe in their team they're not cowboy fans where they think <laughs> every year is our year we're just hoping one year will be our year it hasn't come and hopefully one of these years we'll have the experience and the time to see the jets make it to the super bowl and actually have a chance to win one how old are you I am 40 years old, my friend. So we're the same age. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you ain't got much longer left. Well, stop throwing that onto the bus, man. <laughs> First of all, Brandon, football players end their careers very, very early. You are a young man playing in a young man's game. You're in great shape. We see a bunch of people saying, wow, Brandon Jacobs is in great shape. Same thing with me. Age is just a number. Not in sports, but age is just a number. It's how you take the next step in your life is what could change the path for everyone around you. And I think me being 40 years old, I feel better than I did when I was 30. So, yes, I'm 40 years old. I think I have a lot of years left. I think you have a lot of years left. I just think that as a Jet fan, you just wonder when that time is going to come. And hopefully, with Joe Douglas there and with this coaching staff, with Robert Soller and the guys that they have over there, one of these years, we're going to see an opportunity where the Jets are going to be a contender for a Super Bowl championship. Now, I know you're not a Jet fan. I'm not. Who think they got the nicest uniforms in the NFL, though? Do you really? You like mm. the Jets uniforms? However, being a Jet fan is like being on hospital. <laughs> the next thing you're going to do is die. That's the next. <laughs> Hey, we'll see. They had a pretty good draft. You're funny, man. <laughs> I want to see what they do this year. I don't think we play you this year. No, next year. Giants play the AFC South this year. Yeah, it'll be next year. It'll be fun. You AFC know what, Brandon? South. Next year, if the Jets and the Giants are compared to be good, on me, I will take you and your son, Braden, to the Jets-Giants game. How's that sound? That's definitely a deal. Let's do it. I think it'll be fun. I think going with you and your son, I, your son's probably three times the size of me. He's we bigger will, than me. He's bigger than you. That's saying a lot. We should interview your son. We've interviewed some of the top prospects in the country. That would be great. You guys, whenever you guys should want to do it, man. He's right here always. If I'm here, he's here. That's the deal. If the Jets and Giants are compared to be contenders next year, on me. Me, you, Braden, and maybe Speedy to the Jets and Giants game. How's that sound? I'm with it. Alright, you heard it, Speedy. My brother actually had your jersey when he was a kid. I don't know if it'll still fit him anymore, but I'll have to see if I can still find that in my house if that ends up being the <laughs> case. I don't think anybody could fit in his jersey. Six foot four, brolic, bull rush. Oh yeah, I didn't say it was game war. We didn't have that level of money to be able to get that, but he, yeah. he, he did have your jersey. At the time, 2008, I think we got it all as Christmas gifts. I got Eli Manning's. He got Brandon oh, Jacobs. Oh, 2008. Yeah. 
team was the best team, man. Mm-hmm. We were so much better than any other team we ever had. It was crazy. We supposed to go back to back, but we just didn't. We ended up going twelve and four, but we had our mishap at eleven and one. So we only won one game after Plexico had his accident and kind of stopped us. The man had so much to do with our success. It wasn't even funny. We didn't even realize how much he had to do with the success of our offense. It was crazy how much he meant to our offense. You either gonna double him and we're gonna run down your throat. Or are you going to play man out there and he's going to destroy you? The Pittsburgh Steelers, to this day, probably wishes they never let go of Plaxico Boris because he could have been that piece that could have helped them win multiple Super Bowls because I think Plaxico Boris was so underrated in the prime of his career. And Plex was an unbelievable talent. 6'5", 230, out there running routes. Looked like a gazelle out there. Just phenomenal talent, man. It's funny to think. They at one point had Plaxico Burris and Heinz Ward on the same team. Two big-bodied receivers. It seems like since then they always draft small receivers. Right. He was tough to deal with. For any corner in the league at that point, during that era, would you say Ashante Samuel was a good corner, really good corner. Darrell Revis, Harris, Charles Woods. Charles Woods. I'm the awesome one, Champ Bailey. It's phenomenal was one of the guys on the dream team for the Eagles. We had some good corners, but man, they all struggled with, with PB. They all struggled with him. Like, they could tell you right now, like, man, I hated playing the Giants. We had a guy 6'5", running like that. It was hard. He going up and getting it over you. He can outrun you, everything. Flash was an unbelievable talent. And to me, he's always going to be underrated. My guy, number one, and he was great. But when he went down from that little accident... We were screwed. I was convinced that nobody was going to beat us throughout the playoffs if we'd, if we'd had him. It was funny. You mentioned the 2011 Eagles. One of my best friends growing up is an Eagles fan. So once they struggled in that season and underwhelmed, I called them the Dream On team from then. And I kept trolling <laughs> him all year because of that. <laughs> oh, man. I think that's the year we won it. You guys won, yeah. For Super Bowl yeah. 46. So that's why I made it. That regular season more memorable, even though obviously the Super Bowl 42 upset was bigger just with the magnitude. That regular season, the journey to get there, the block field goal against Dallas, there was so many things that year. It was like, yep. <laughs> At the end of the year, because they were surging because they started off slow, he was like, oh, nope, they're going to come back. The Giants are going to lose to the Jets and all that. And once the Giants beat the Jets and sealed it at that point. Then... Stop bragging about that. I- I'm bragging about it from the Stop Eagles it. standpoint, not the Jets. Uh, I just brought it up because it was week 16. The NFC East hasn't been good for the New York Jets. Other than the years I played, I think last year was the first year in the NFL where it was really competitive. You didn't have one team dominating. I think the LA Rams played every top team in the league last year. They yep. won some Awesome. Every time you look on prime time, it was the Rams playing somebody. Every other week, they would win some and they would lose some. Nobody just dominated the NFL last year. The NFL should be like that, where four to five losses, each team should have at least five losses every year. Mm-hmm. It should be like that. And I think last year ended up being like that. I want to see another competitive year like last year. The NFC West last year was like the NFC East when you played. San Francisco, they just beat up on each other. I think Arizona went to a point where they was the number one team like in the league. Yeah, they and were the last undefeated team. Division play got busted up by the Rams mm-hmm. in San Francisco. They went the Rams, I'm like, boy, this is some good football. They swept the Rams in the regular season, and then they lost right. them in the NFC right. Championship. They swept them in the regular season, and then you never knew what you was going to get out of Seattle. Seattle can show up and be the best team in the league. Seattle and, swept and the Niners, and then the Niners swept the Rams. It, it was really competitive on the West Coast last year, so man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what this 2022 season has for us. One more question for us before we let you go, because we really appreciate you joining us as long as you have. Who was the biggest talker on the field that you remember when you played the game? Biggest talker on the Field. That's a good one. I would say me. I'm always say somebody in NFC East because that's what I saw the most. Dawkins. <laughs> that boy Dawkins would tell you everything. But he would never cuss. He would never curse. He would never do any of that. It wouldn't be real different. He always on you. Always in your face. 
always had something to say. So he was probably the biggest trash talker in our division anyway. We had Taba Ali on. I forget who he said because I asked him the same question. And Taba and me became really, really good friends. And he's in New Jersey right now. Shout out to Taba Ali. Then Tom was from like Teaneck or something. Like yeah, he's in New Jersey right now. He told me he something. His leg started. His knee started giving out on him recently. We follow each other on Snapchat because we were going to meet up. And he told me he hasn't been feeling very well. He wanted me to come and see him when he came out here. He's been out here for a month. And he's going back to KC. But Taba actually is rapping and doing all the stuff right now and producing. He's doing a great job. He's a hardworking, dedicated person in the industry. One of these days, somebody's going to give him an opportunity to really shine as well as he did in football. All I think those he years. said Walter Jones. Yeah, Taba t- was telling us a little bit about his career and some of the guys. We did mention you, and he told me that that boy can hit. So <laughs> Taba is very well respected around the league and very smart and dedicated person to what he is doing off the field and very dedicated in trying to help the sport grow. So shout out to Taba. He's a good guy. I played against him a couple of times. We used to have this play called 136 and 137. Not now, but I would go to the edge on three-step drop and the line would slide away from the end and it would be me and the end like one-on-one. We definitely applied it a few times, but phenomenal talent. I'm talking about giving tackles hell. Fast off the edge, strong. I think he's probably one of the most underrated players of my era as well. Definitely underrated. There's no question. Would have got to 100 sacks if he didn't have those injuries towards the end of his career. He yeah. had 89. Beast. Right? He yeah. was a beast. We got the plan for him. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. Speedy's going to reach out to you. We're going to get your son on. We love interviewing some top young prospects, the top 50 prospects that are now going into their second year of college football, and they're growing. They're the next big superstars. Probably, I would say, about seven or eight of them are going to be top 20, top 30 picks in the next two years. So we really enjoy interviewing some of the young prospects that are going into college and, and eventually going into college and becoming the stars, either from their fathers. We've interviewed some guys that their fathers played in the league and some of the guys that eventually moved on to the NFL and became pretty good players. So we really enjoyed the interview, Brandon, and we definitely want to get you on. And I'm going to hold up to my promise with you that if the Giants and the Jets are playoff contenders next year, me, you, your son, and Speedy on me to the game. I have no problems doing that. I like the plan to me. There you go. We were talking to Giants, two-time Super Bowl champion, running back, Brandon Jacobs. Fantastic guy. He's not a Jet fan. He hates the Jets and he hates the Cowboys, but we love him. Fantastic, fantastic personality. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's, that's really sweet coming from a Jet fan. No. <laughs> well, you're welcome, sir. He's got to take the last shots. Just remember, I think I'm older than you, Brandon. You are by two months. I just researched it. He was born July 6th, 82. You're April 29th, 82. I just turned 40 on the 6th, so you're definitely older than me. My birthday was April, so I'm your elder man, so you have to be a little bit more nicer to me. <laughs> I'll try. I'll tell you what. I'll buy you a Jets jersey since you love them so much. Put your name on the back of it. Brandon, when he buys you the Jets jersey, you could come to the game and, and either burn it or rip it up, whichever you prefer. But I want the Jets jersey that's going to have this symbol on it. Oh, you'll have to Photoshop that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Speedy, you got jokes? Oh, man. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, when they do win that Super Bowl, whenever that happens, I'll be sure to send you one. <laughs> I want it. And I'll sign it. it for you. Actually, I want that jersey, and then I want Ryan on the back of it for Coach Rex Ryan. Oh, God, please. <laughs> please. I'll probably get a tattoo of something. <laughs> As much as I love Coach Ryan, and I have a lot of respect for him, I have no idea, for some reason, he liked to sprout his big mouth and caused us tremendous amount of trouble, not only in the newspapers, but throughout the league, which called us a clown organization. You don't see Sala doing that. That's why I respect Robert Sala more than anything. He gave bulletin board material that that teams took personal. Guys, personal. Kind of like Michael Jordan always say, just personal to me. But dude, like, man, that's really personal. You really feel like that. Wow. So, I like 
like Coach Rhino. He's a good dude. We had our little run-in, but talked to him after that. He thanked me. I said, what are you thanking me for? I was with Sam Fran that one year we went to Cam down to play the Jets. And he was like, thank you. I'm like, what are you thanking me for? It's because of you. I lost weight. I'm like, all right, I got you. <laughs> Again, we really appreciate you joining us. And we'll get Braden on the show as well. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Guys, thanks for having me. Brandon Jacobs. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And, and by the way, as some personality, even though he's a hater, hates the New York Jets. He hates the Cowboys. He wants to drop bombs on the Cowboys. But nevertheless, we really appreciate Mr. Dog joining us. Speedy, I know you love him. Oh, yeah. As a Giants fan growing up, I always loved watching him as a player. He really just a great personality. You want to kiss him? No. He has kids. He has a kid that's going into college in a couple of years, too. He's going to yeah, be an so offensive I lineman. Kiss so. him still. I think he's very content with his family life right uh, now. And he could be content with you, too, in his life. I don't think he wants to have me kiss him, but okay. Oh, but, you're probably right. He'd yes. probably break your jaw. If you of did. course he would. He ran over NFL players. You think he ran over me? I would love to see him run through you. Man. Yeah, I'm sure you would. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some football conversation as Deshaun Watson has threatened the NFL. If they suspend me for the season, I will drop a lawsuit on them. Deshaun Watson not very happy with the league. Kyler Murray gets a new contract worth about $230 million, $160 million guaranteed. Some other players like Lamar Jackson is not very happy about that. So when we come back, we'll get into some football conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Shout out to Brandon the Dog Jacobs. He was awesome. So thank you for joining us, Brandon, giving us your take on how much you hate the Jets and how much you want to bomb the Cowboys. Uh, Great personality. To get back into some football conversation, there is a player that's making a lot of money now. A guy that was very upset getting knocked out in the first round of the playoffs by the Rams, who then wins the Super Bowl. He wasn't very happy with the contract dispute in the offseason. Also, Dak Prescott getting $40 million. So why not? Seeing another quarterback make his money as the Arizona Cardinals pay their star quarterback a five-year, $230.5 million contract, $160 million guaranteed, which makes him the second annual paid player in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, then Kyler Murray. That's a lot of money. Kyler Murray now is going to be a Cardinal for five years, so no more complaining, Kyler. You got your money. Be very, very happy. I'll tell you, there's a player right now in the NFL that has won an MVP and has not gotten his money. And maybe because he's his own agent, or maybe just the Baltimore Ravens are trying to do everything as they possibly can to wonder if they're going to go and move forward with Lamar Jackson or move elsewhere in the offseason with all these quarterbacks that everybody keeps talking about. But if I was Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't be very happy. I've won an MVP. I've taken my team to the playoffs almost every single year, but last year, only because of injuries and losing all the running backs that they did. and and Corners, too. Three corners. They lost their young wide receiver. Now he lost his best wide receiver. He goes over there to Arizona. So if I was Lamar Jackson, my team is worse than it was last year offensively, not defensively. Offensively. Team of three tight ends now, including our guy Charlie Kohler. I, I think that if I was Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't be happy. 
But you can't attack anybody that gets their money. But to see this as a whole, Kyler Murray has deserved it. I think he's one of the top five, top six quarterbacks in the league. He has to stay away from injuries. I know everybody says that he's small and he's this, he's that. He's still one of the top five accurate quarterbacks in the league. He still has proven himself. I know if you're a fantasy guru, if you're a fantasy guy, you want Kyler Murray on your team because of what he does. He's a dual threat. But not even that. Not even with fantasy. What he does on the field. The first eight games last year, he was as good as anybody. Everybody thought he was the MVP. The second half of the season kind of fell off a little bit. Still played very well. I wonder his health situation. That's the only thing with Kyler Murray. If he could stay healthy and he could protect himself, I think Kyler Murray is worth every single penny they offered him. Yeah, I think that's the biggest issue. I know people are complaining about the playoff game. It's one playoff game. It's his first playoff game. And they had a dud against the Rams. The Rams are a talented team, too. And they ended up winning the Super Bowl. They ended up beating the Buccaneers. They ended up beating the Bengals. They beat other good teams in the process to get there. Eli Manning's first playoff game, he got shut out by the Panthers 23 to nothing in 2005. They ended up winning two Super Bowls. So I wouldn't jump the gun on that. The injury is the only thing, just because they've had a bad offensive line up until last year. Last year it played well. So he ended up taking the most quarterback hits in a player's first two years among active quarterbacks. So that's one of the things that's hindered them as well as his injuries kind of coming in the second half of certain seasons too in 2020 and in 2021. As far as the value of the contract, it's a lot, but it might be something that ends up being worth it down the road because we see quarterback contracts keep getting bigger and bigger. So Kyler Murray might be a little much at the beginning just with the risk of the injuries, but down the road, it might be end up being official. And Arizona cannot bank on drafting another quarterback again if they let Kyler Murray walk because they've been a bad quarterback franchise. Most of their success has come from getting other veteran quarterbacks in there. Guys like Kurt Warner, who won Super Bowl that they had in the loss to the Steelers recently with Carson Palmer. So they haven't been good at developing it themselves. Also, Cliff Kingsbury as a coach. Kyler Murray was attached to the hip from the draft. That's why they got rid of Josh Rosen right away and drafted Kyler Murray number one overall. So you have to stick to this plan if you're going to extend Cliff Kingsbury, who's had his question marks as a coach. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. He's fine, but he's had his moments where he's collapsed in the second half and really questionable play calling and development of those wide receivers. Deshaun Watson seems like his name is all over the tabloids. The lawsuits that he has, paying off 20 ladies, and now dealing with this civil situation. He has come out this past week and said to the NFL, if you suspend me for the season, expect to get a lawsuit. I think that he's absolutely right. I don't know what is true and what is false about this story. The fact is, is that it went through three criminal courts and none of them were eligible to convict him or even want to take this to court because it's really a civil situation. There's nothing that I believe they could prove to be fair to this story. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And it doesn't mean that Deshaun Watson isn't a bad guy. We don't know what he is. But the fact is, if three courtrooms didn't want to take this through criminal court, that tells you that they don't really have as much as you think they have on him. I hear what people are saying, what has happened in the past with players betting on sports and missing a season. Everybody says this is worse. We don't know if it's true. There is no proof. And whatever is true, he's admitted to, and he has proof that it was all of them were agreeing to what they were doing. I can't sit here today and say, hey, Deshaun Watson is a really, really bad guy, but I don't know what the true story is. Now, do I think that him telling everybody that he is completely innocent, I believe him? Most people that say they're innocent are usually not. He does have a lot of money and he can hide his terrible personality through the money that he has. 
But again, we can't prove that. And if the NFL suspends him for a full season, 17 games, I think it's an absolute ridiculous move. And if I was Deshaun Watson, I would absolutely sue the NFL. Because something like this, I would see six, eight games, no more than eight games. Because there's nothing criminal that he did. And I don't want to hear about Goodell trying to save a brand or protect a brand. The brand is already in mishmash. This man's making 40-something million dollars. He gets all these big deals, endorsements. They're still making hand over fist money. They're still getting new TV deals. I don't see what you see on paper that he has done where you can take him out for a full season. Yeah, I think just with the uniqueness of this situation, it's going to be very difficult for the NFL to create some kind of verdict that is too obvious because we haven't seen a case like this where there are so many people making claims and yet there was also so many settlements at the same time. And of the 26 settlements, we don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. I'm willing to believe right now a half and half theory. I think there's a lot of women that wants their money and I think there's a lot of them that are telling the truth because these women now that have been victims of this have started to come out a lot more in the last couple of years. So that's good that they're making that kind of progression. But also the uniqueness of the case and the evidence they have right now, I don't know if it's necessarily strong enough for a whole season. I think 10 games is what he will end up getting just based on this information. Now, there is going to be another hearing in a couple of weeks, depending on some new information that could come out. If there ends up being more negative stuff not in Watson's favor, maybe that at that point he'll get the whole season. But I can't see him getting the whole season right now. I think 10 games definitely is the merit. Just based on one, a very high sample size of it. We've seen domestic violence cases in the past that haven't been like this, where it's so many instances. Ray Rice's wasn't like that. Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Josh Brown, going back to the Giants, that was a terrible one. How he only got suspended one game was ridiculous. But still, those have been one case. This is all different cases. The NFL is definitely going to be in hot water either way. They're going to take backlash no matter what the verdict is. But I think they're going to have to make an example out of this one, being it is the most unique case. Set the bar for this now. I agree with you. I don't think he'll get suspended the whole season as of right now, just with how many that haven't been known of what the evidence was. Jimmy G was granted permission to seek a trade. I expect Jimmy G to find himself a new job somewhere else. I don't know if it's Seattle in the same division. I don't know where any other team is looking for a quarterback, and he'd be backing up unless Deshaun Watson misses the season. I don't know where Jimmy G is going. He's right now rehabbing himself. I think his time and his reign over there with the 49ers is over. Yeah, it seems that way. I think especially now with the progressions that Trey Lance has made, it seems like a lot of the players like him. Seattle's really the only shot that I think they would give him a lot. The Browns probably would just do one little pick, and that's really it, just to swing at the fence type thing if Deshaun Watson ends up getting traded. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we have had a wonderful show. Brandon Jacobs, great, great content. And why not have the voices of the handicap betting man money line mania this is money line mania which has and the crew chicka 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 
Chazimoto. What's going on, bud? Well, yeah, you know what? Normally, the crew is around, but you know, it's the dog days of summer, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But we may actually have another crew to our crew because Wes's son, I'm pretty sure he said it's going to be a boy. You know how he has his names that are all related to Ohio State? He's naming his kids something to do with Ohio State as well. I don't I don't remember what. Brutus? Brutus Boston works, actually. Brutus Boston. That, you know, you get out the bathrobe with the BB on it. That would work. Quick, so, yeah, call so him down while there's still time. <laughs> I think they, they were supposed to induce Sunday tomorrow. If not, she's having a baby. So we wish them the best. The guys, the making the babies and having kids. I'm a dad, so yeah, it's great. But the women put up with most of the grief in that. Mm, <laughs> Once that water breaks, it's a trippy world. So yeah, so we're excited about that. And I even have a play from him for CFL. But first, I want to talk about some baseball. You're sitting in New York, guys. How cool is it, right? The, with the Yankees doing what they're doing. Every time I look up, Judge is hitting more. Two on Friday. Two more yesterday, now 36 for the season. Yeah, man, that's amazing. Remember, you're coming off the All-Star break, so this is sports betting. You know, I don't care what your record is. Are you making me money? Because as we talk about with baseball, with these high pitchers, we're going to talk about Kershaw in a little bit. We go 3-1, and one, you lose money. You make $100 the three times they win, you lose $345. <laughs> the one time they lose, you lost $45. They went 3-1. and one. Some guy tells you I got a 75% win rate on baseball, just laugh in his face because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Tell me how much money you want. So, yeah, you got to know which teams are refueled after that break and who's going to quit. So, with pitchers, it's halfway through the year. Stop using their year-to-date averages because, Speedy, when you see the numbers on the screen on the TV, that's their year-to-date average. Yes, that is the whole season in maybe per start right. per game. What if in the first quarter of the season you stunk? And the second quarter of the season, you were good. Your whole average gets sucked down by stinking, right? Especially, but you're on a hot streak. Yeah, especially this year, I've seen notably so many big winning streaks and so many big losing streaks from teams. Look at the Braves. Oh, the they, going into the All-Star break, Baltimore, Seattle. Here's how I do the trends, guys. With our easy sports data, if it happens three times in a row, it's a trend. You hop on them then, and they go 11 straight. You cashed eight times, and then you're always losing the last one. Don't forget that. But then, maybe they win again, so then you, you don't bet, and, and they win again. And well, then you're betting them again. You've seen teams that go 17 and 2. And if you could have lost it, sure, you lost the two games, but you won maybe 13 of those 17. You're 13 and 2 betting a team, and you don't have to handicap because you're not betting a pitcher. You're betting a team. You can come back the, the next day. So that's my MLB halftime speech <laughs> about how to bet MLB going forward. And this uh, is CFL. the MLB halftime report. In an untimely Yeah, sport. there you go. CFL, what I'm going to basically say is don't be talking to us on Sports Betting Weekly about preseason NFL. I will bet it. I have data for it. I will use it. I will bet it. But all I'm really going to watch is the CFL because the CFL is just really, really exciting right now for me. I just love the weirdness of it. If you don't know CFL, the first thing is you can't watch a game. We've talked about how crazy it looks because they're all able to run even before the snap. They're running straight ahead. But the field's bigger. There's 12 guys. And I'm talking about simply the fact that you get two downs. That's it. So on third down, you either punt or field goal. What's the set it for years? They have a three-minute break in the last three minutes of a CFL game. Don't give me about 
the dog days of summer. There's stuff out there to do if you're just sitting around like me waiting for football season. Because, Petey, I tell you every year, I just sit around waiting for football season. In the old days, we didn't even do the show. We did the show up until maybe March Madness, and that was it. We came back opening weekend for the NFL. The dog days of summer are, are in your head, especially now with Saratoga and Delmar open. I told you I went to opening day. Delmar did hit two races. I went two for two at Saratoga. So I'm sitting in Delmar, and you got the jacket on, you nice clothes because you're sitting in the club section. My lap is Saratoga. I'm sitting at Delmar betting Saratoga on my phone, and I'm thinking, golly gee, technology is great. <laughs> if you're not a pony better, and in New York, it's really horse racing world. The guys bet horse racing. We're going to start giving out the Sunday race from Saratoga for the next couple of weeks, three weeks. Those are short meets, and there is nothing better, really, to be honest with you. We talked about betting for your phone. Sitting in a bar with other guys with a racing form, betting on your phone, because when it's legal, it's easy. When it's illegal, it's a pain in the ass. And it's just so much fun because you're watching games, and the horse races is like, it's a minute, right? The race is a minute. So much You gotta wait 30 for minutes a minute. for a minute, and then you wait 30 more minutes, and it's a minute and a half. The longest races are two minutes. Now, the longest, longest races are three minutes, but like the derbies, two minutes. That's why they call it the greatest two minutes in sports. So that's what I've got for my educational aspect of sportsbettinglessons.com. My friend, he was born in Kentucky, so he, whenever there's some big horse race, he's always teaching me all these concepts and also a lot of these backstories of the jockeys and the horses that I would never know about just following because you're right, I just usually tune in for the race, I see some of the odds, the track that if there is a triple crown type thing, which there hasn't been in a while, but if there is that kind of thing, I would see, all right, is it actually legitimate this time? He actually knows all that stuff, being born in Kentucky and seeing a lot of those races, just following the sport. If you watch Seabiscuit, you know horse racing was the bomb. Horse racing and boxing were the bomb. You take Cinderella Man, right, and Seabiscuit, that's a history lesson, really, in what our country was the sports fan. If you were the heavyweight boxer champ of the world, you were the biggest athlete in the world at that point. So those are funny, but it's a passionate fan base. It's just dwindling dramatically. And the reason it's dwindling dramatically is because horse racing, it's got their head up their ass, basically. But when you have a large group of individuals with no leadership, and the horses are dying, think about it. If we had a sport, say football, and one day four players died, would they play the next day, the next game? No. In a horse race, they play the next race. Because <laughs> it happens. You got a big body. You got skinny little legs. Come on, guys. It don't take a rocket scientist to figure out that's not a good combination. It seems like, too, there's like so many new horses in each of the three Triple Crown races, too. Like, it doesn't seem fair for the ones that are racing like three times and trying to either go to a jockey's legacy or something like that just because like there's all these new ones, these fresh legs, even we say that in other sports, But that's too. kind of why when your horse does well in those races, you get to charge more for their semen. Because the semen is a very important part of horse racing. That's the problem with horse racing, though, is so many of their great horses are leaving early. Why would you run a horse to win a $2 million race, Speedy, when you can send them to make babies? So I'm looking in the racing form yesterday, and this one horse had 375 kids. Because they said, this guy, as a sire, has done really well. His 375 foals 
themselves had done this and they had the record on how many wins and losses in places or shows, whatever. And I was thinking, it was like that movie with uh, Vince Vaughn, remember? He was taking his junk to get money at the Spur Donation place where they give you 35 bucks or whatever it was. So he did it like 500 times. It turns out he has like 500 kids, you know? <laughs> it was pretty funny. Delivery man? Yeah, yeah, maybe that was it. So let's do picks. So let's start with the CFL game because the CFL game was supposed to be today, but now it's tomorrow. And Wes, father the B, gave out Saskatchewan. Wes, I think, skipped this week's BC game. He got BC'd four times. What that means is when the same team beat you four times out of six plays, you stop betting them all together. They may not be dead to you. Usually a team that's dead to you is a team that's taking your money but they didn't win. So what happens is when they win and they don't take your money, it's because they didn't cover the spread. But we do a lot of money line mania bets, which, of course, is the name of this segment for a reason. Mm -hmm. That's where you take your unit and you bet it on the team on the money line. So they just got to win the game. And then you bet a fraction of that anywhere from a quarter to three quarter units on the point spread. As long as they win the game, you win. And then they lose both. So he skipped that game. He's got Saskatchewan minus five and a half. So I will be on that game tomorrow. I'll probably bet more of that action. I don't do first quarters. And we'll talk about that when we're on in the NFL season. We have the data that goes back till 2012. So I'm not kidding you guys sometimes you'll see 17 games in a row over three years on the road that these teams have done something in the first quarter whether it's over under win lose whatever it is are you still ahead of Wes in the cfl picks no ah. He Good caught run. up to me last week. Last week I was terrible. Two and two were pretty much tied now. I defer to Wes, just so you know. The reason why I make the picks is because I'm writing about it, so I'm basically getting paid to handicap. I'm going to bet that. I had a few in the beginning, but more times than now, we're on the same page. What he'll do is he'll take a team that's a dog a lot easier than I will, but I found that a lot of those games where he's on the dog, what I'm doing is I'm on the total. So we really are in the same game on different bets. So whenever I'm on an under, uh, I'll put Wes's team. If Wes gives me a play, he does that Discord page. And that's something when we get him back on once summer winds away and he's not working. Because his Discord page will make you money. These guys are really, really good. All right, so Major League Baseball. So, I have the Yankees at Baltimore. I have San Francisco at the Dodgers. That's 4-10 tomorrow, your time. And then San Diego at the Mets. I will be at that game. Are you going to that game? Yep. It is a early birthday uh, gift. Uh, it was supposed to be my grandparents, my uncle, and all my family. My grandfather got sick, though, so he couldn't travel. So I'm going to be meeting up with my immediate family. My brothers and my uncle are going to meet up. He's coming off the train awesome. from New York. Hopefully, if you're not going to have action, somebody in your family will put a couple bucks on my plate because I'm very comfortable. So let's talk about the Yankees at Baltimore. You don't need to say much about the Yankees, but in their last 10, they're four and six, and that is not a way to break the record for most wins. You don't see teams usually go four and six at any period during a season when they do great, great things, but the Yankees, as Arrow's head in the past, have had periods like that, but their overs, guys, eight and two. In the same 10 games that they went four and six, the overs are eight and two, and they've scored five plus and six and seven. Baltimore just going into Saturday, recently had their big win streak snapped. They won a lot of games in a row, and because we know Jonathan from San Antonio, who's also having a baby, is also naming it 
it, Camden. I think I mentioned that in the past. He's a big Baltimore fan, so when they go on a run like that, he wins a lot of money because he bets. But they're 8-2. and 1-2, and two, however, in their last three. But in three of their last three, it's gone over, and they've scored four-plus and eight of nine. So that's kind of where I'm leaning here. Cortez, he's averaged about five innings a start in his last seven starts. 35 innings, he's given up 36 hits. Yeah, that's not necessarily bad. The problem was nine of them were dingers, and he gave up 18 runs in 35 innings. So that's basically a half a run an inning. So that's four and a half runs if you pitch nine innings. Kramer, the dude hasn't lost since June 5th. He's got three wins, four no decisions. His last three, he never made the sixth. He pitched 13.2 innings, gave up eight earned. And the previous three before that were all shutouts, which I thought was kind of weird. I'm going with the over. I'm thinking to myself, they've gone over. He's gone over the end. I'm not, I don't bet teams that are four and six in their last 10. But again, we talked about it. What if they're three and oh in their last three and one and six before that? Then they're four and six, but they're really playing good. So that's kind of how I look at life. That is going to be my play there. I'm putting it down. I'm writing it down. I got the over. And the next game, San Francisco at the Dodgers. In May, the Dodgers swept the two home games. In June, San Francisco swept the three home games, and it's July, and the Dodgers looks like they're trying to sweep those. So, but the total was two, four, and one in that game. So there was two overs, four unders, and a push. San Francisco's battling for that wild card. They play the AL East, right, and the NL West are the teams that look like they're going to fill the playoffs. The Dodgers are on a 9-1 run, though. Remember, it was really close. I think they went into a series with the Padres recently, uh, you know, a month mm-hmm. ago. They were four games down or three games down. Or maybe yeah, the Padres were ahead two, two games. Yeah. Bada boom, bada bing. Seven of those nine have been money line wins. They won by one and a half runs, and that is a very important thing in baseball, especially with these pitchers. I told you how my son has been riding that. Well, he got another one Friday. I don't know if you saw. They got a grand slam. It was 1-1, and he needs it to be 3-1 or more and they got a grand slam. He was yeah, so Ballinger. giddy. He's done real well with them. Cobb last three through 97-plus pitches. You'll hear me. If there's any stat that I look at with guys is how many pitches they throw and how consistently they throw that because that allows me to see the game. The other day, we talked about they both had 100 pitches. The dude ended up, it was here in San Diego. For Darn, the Hughes Darvish game. The guy threw 112 pitches. Oh, Carlos Rodon. Yeah, Carlos, yeah, Carlos 112 yeah. pitches. Golly gee. And, it, you know, in the old days, yeah, yeah, the old days that was a nine-inning game and they do it all the time. Yeah, that's absolutely true, but it's not the old days. Yeah, so same thing. Now, here's the difference, though. This is San Francisco. San Francisco and the Dodgers have a rivalry that some would say uh, is their biggest rivalry. And so the line may not be minus 300 for Kershaw, maybe minus 175, 195, somewhere in that. So I'm going to do a money line mania on this thing, but I'm going to do it a couple different ways. I'm going to take the Dodgers, and if they win the game, I'm winning money. And then what I'm going to do is taking some of that money, I'm going to bet them on the run line as well. And I'm also betting the under, and I'm going to bet the parlay with the money line and the under. And so that is a lot of bets in one game. But you know what? If it goes well, uh, worst case scenario, you lose. Kershaw gets outdueled and he loses three to two. You got the under bet. It helps a little bit. Remember, we're about catching tickets. All I care about is that when I'm done, you're done betting my bets. Like last week was a fine example. We had a loser. The Mets just never got over. I had the Mets and over. I thought for sure with the Cubs, it'd be an easy winner. The Mets They're haven't the been hitting. Loser. But when you're betting the first five innings and you're betting the game and you're cashing more tickets than you're losing, you're winning money, 
the record's irrelevant. How much money you got in your pocket when you started, how much when you got when you're done, that's it. All right, last game we're going with the game you're at. Mm-hmm. Now, so this Sunday Night Baseball, is that what that is? Sunday Night Baseball, yes. It was flexed originally yeah, from yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a 1 o'clock game. Now it's Sunday night. All right, so San Diego's headed into Saturday. They were 4-1 the last five versus the Mets. And it looks like their bats are coming back a little. You know, they've had some injuries. They still have injuries. But uh, they scored four plus in five of six. The Mets have scored four or less in seven of nine. So I just said in back-to-back sentences, San Diego scored four plus in five of six. The Mets have scored four or less in seven of nine. Their lead over Atlanta shrunk to one and a half. Musgrove started 8-0. And I think we talked about him in one of the games previously. I remember him being 8-2, I think, at one point. And since then, yeah, four starts, two losses, two no decisions. Thrown 25 innings, gave up 22 hits and 14 runs. So that is, in those four games, 25. That's like six innings a game, which, you know, that's normal right now. But 14 earned in 25 innings is more than half. So that's four and a half runs. So that's how I'm looking at this. I think that the Mets are going to score some runs. I just really think they are. The kid, though, for the Mets, he's a pretty good pitcher, right? They got Carrasco on the mound on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, in his last three starts, he's given up a hit an inning, but he's only given up three runs in 17 innings. So think about that. If you gave me 17 innings and three runs, that's like almost two full games. That's like a one and a half ERA. How many Cy Youngs are you going to have if you? You're throwing up a 1.5 annual ERA, right? You're going to have to build yourself another room. The Cy Young wing of your house. Actually, you win multiple Cy Youngs. You make so much money every year, you could have a house for the Cy Youngs. If you win one Cy Young, you'll have more all-time than Nolan Ryan. So I'm going to do the same thing. I get bit a lot for this, coming back with something after I lost. I always come back with something after I won. I mentioned that earlier. But I'm going to like the over in this game, but I like the Mets money line. I think the Mets are going to win this game, 7-3. to three. That's my final score. The Ponies, it's a very unique situation I mentioned. There's four horses. It's a horse race with four horses. I got to think you could find more than four horses for a horse race. Then I look, and it's a $200,000 horse race. So something don't make sense. And then I looked again, and guess what? There's two really good horses, and they've ridden together. In the last six of their seven races, they've all been grade one races, the best you can get. Actually, $200,000, it's a grade two today, is the lowest they've run one, two. It's the three and the four at Saratoga. It's race five. It's Sunday. Race five, post time, 321 Eastern. You're going to exact the box, the four and the five. And then Malathat is the three. Clarer is the four. Pick a name. And then do that as in, you know, put in 30 bucks, put a $20 exacta box, I'd gift you $10 exacta each way, and then another $10, and pick one of those names or numbers and put them on top because they're even. It should be a great race. Well, thank you for joining us, Chaz. I hope your 7-3 score comes true with me in attendance for the Mets. Yeah, enjoy the game. I'll look for you in the stands. It'll be All on right. TV. If you see me on TV. If I see you on TV, because I did this when I was at the Breeders' Cup, I go back and I freeze frame it on UVR, and then I take a picture with the camera, and then I'll have you forever, and I'll send that to you. I would not, with the way that the cameras work nowadays in the stadiums, I would not sit around waiting for that text <laughs> if I were you. <laughs> yes. Thank you for joining us. Always be cash. Chaz and the crew, Moneyline Mania, as always. Fantastic handicappers. Always winning. He won a lot of money last week betting on some of my picks. Taking the under. No, I'm just kidding. But he definitely won himself a lot of money. Devers did what he was supposed to, and his parlay was fantastic. So you're welcome, Chaz. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? We got a little bit of hockey and then some crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Pete. Remember, give us our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York is your time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app, go to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into crunch time, I will say something to add for all you Islander fans out there. I know everybody's heard that Matthew Kachuk has become available by the Calgary Flames. And the Islanders have struck out with Johnny Goudreau goes to the Blue Jackets. And the Blue Jackets rebuilding and done some good things this offseason. The Islanders are the only team out of all 32 teams that have done absolutely nothing. And I know everybody's looking for that other superstar to play with Barzell. And Matthew Kachuk, 24 years old, he looks like a bull. He fits everything that the Islanders are looking for when it comes offensively. I cannot see the Islanders trading away the prospects and the draft stock that Calgary is going to be asking for from Matthew Kachuk. Plus, you got to pay him. I don't know. Now, is he a perfect fit for the Islanders? Absolutely. Speed, hits, mean, gritty. Scores goals. He's the perfect guy to play with Barzell. He's really another Johnny Goudreau, just faster and bigger. But I just don't know if Lou Lamorello understands what he wants to do offensively this coming year. And with a new coach, Lambert, and just really what the Islanders are trying to do this offseason to add another voice in that locker room and a powerhouse offensive player. Now, Kadri is still available. And I think the Islanders are trying to free up some salary caps so they can bring Kadri in. I am not signing Kadri, being that he's 30 years old, to yeah. a seven, eight-year deal. I think it's a big mistake by the Islanders. Now, Matthew Kachuk, it's a good move. If you can get Matthew Kachuk and just trading away maybe one or two prospects and a couple of draft picks, I do it. I have a feeling that the Calgary Flames is going to want a hell of a lot more than that. Now, the one thing that could hurt the Flames, though, is the fact that he already announced that he's not re-signing. So that's already going to diminish the market. And we've seen Lou Lamorello try to be smart with You say that all the time. time. It diminishes the market. I've never seen it diminish the market like you say it does. They still get the players that they want. So how much is it going to diminish the market? It might be where one team ends up overpaying for him, but what is the actual market value for a guy that already wants out is the question. We only know it as the trade that comes out and actually happens, but we don't know all the trade scenarios because they're all inside of those team calls. That's the only reason and I say that it's going to hurt the Flames for getting the market return that they ended up wanting because it was so sudden as it was. Now, they knew they had to pay him, so they were trying to manage the Goudreau situation first. Obviously, that didn't work out for them. So now they had to really make Chuck work, and they only settled on arbitration. So that's a bad look for the Flames as it is, that trusting of an organization to be able to make that kind of trade. All right. And now we're going to add a little bit of crunch time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start with Juan Soto, the big news of the week. Buy or sell. The Mets or Yankees will end up with Juan Soto. Sell, sell, sell. I can't see it. They're not trading out of the same division. I don't care what the Mets offer. And as far as the Yankees are concerned, even though Aaron Judge could be on his way out, I can't see the Yankees trading away any of these prospects that they believe could be the future of this organization. I'm selling it. I'm going to sell it, too. I've mentioned the Padres are the team that I'm thinking. I also like the White Sox as a potential like example. Texas. Texas is possible. I think they would have to trade a lot more on their major league roster. Unless they want to trade their two top pitchers already, it's going to be very hard for them to make that kind of thing work for just one player. And they already have the two big contracts already invested. So I would say the Padres and the White Sox, which should be the two teams I would do. I think the Mets are still in the running if they're willing to take on Corbin. I don't know if the 
the Nationals are going to be able to want to do that right away. So I am going to sell as well. Buy or sell. Speaking of Johnny Goudreau, he will be traded before the fourth year of his big Blue Jackets contract. Probably. I mean, the Blue Jackets like trading away players. They don't like holding on to players. Yeah. As we're hearing, Patrick Lane, but could be gone before the season starts. Matthew Kachuk could be traded over there. Who knows? I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think they're going to get a little better at this point now with John Davidson in terms of the player development department. You're right. They have a hard time holding on to players, but I think that's also more of a old branding thing, the old dysfunction they used to have. I think there's a little more stability there now. You're right. It's not a great place to play, but I'm going to sell. I don't think they're going to do four years. All right. Buy or sell. The Knicks will trade for Donovan Mitchell within the next two weeks. I'm going to buy it. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to take a little bit longer than we expect because Danny Ainge is going to try to pry away top draft picks. I have heard that the Knicks aren't going over five, but who knows? Maybe Danny Ainge can get one more from them and try to rob the Knicks, but I buy it. I think it's going to happen. I'm going to sell just because of that stingy. I still think the Knicks are the favorites right now to do it just because I think the other scenarios don't work out, but Danny Ainge is still going to try to push it as far as he can to do that because one, as you mentioned all the time, he doesn't like the Knicks, and two, he is very stingy. I think there's going to be some other players. I think he'll still try to fight to get Grimes as well, so I am going to sell. Buy or sell? Another quarterback will surpass Kyler Murray's contract next offseason. I believe it. I buy it. It goes up every single year. And Kyler Murray's making a lot of money, but he's not even the highest paid a season. It's Aaron Rodgers. So, do I think it's going to happen? Yes. It's going to go up and up and up until it doesn't go up anymore, or it just keeps on going up. (laughs) So, I buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it too. I can see it being Joe Burrow. The Bengals have definitely changed that organizational philosophy, not being cheap anymore like we saw Mike Brown do in the past. I think they realized the model mold of it is to pay the quarterbacks now and they've I think freed enough money with the rest of their roster kind of being on I know they're having trouble playing Bates right now but beyond that I think they're doing well in terms of getting everything else so I'm going to buy it buy or sell the Islanders will trade for Vladimir Tarasenko or JT Miller they're gonna have to if they can't get Matthew Kachuk they need another offensive player so I'm gonna buy it because they need somebody and the only two guys that we've heard that will probably be available this offseason I don't know if it's Tarasenko JT Miller is I think that's the only way they can move up and get the player that they want so I'm going to buy I'm going to buy it, too. I think JT Miller is going to definitely be someone that's moved. I think Tarasenko will stay at this point. The Blues had a nice season, but I think the Canucks are trying to purge assets. I know they just paid Besser, but beyond that, I think they're having trouble with the rest of their young players, so I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Aaron Judge will have 60 home runs this season. I believe it. I don't think he's going to get 61, but I think he'll be on the cusp of 59-60. He wins the MVP. He goes, and he rides off to the sunset to San Francisco. That's where I think he goes. The Yankees will not bring him back. He wins the MVP, the last Yankee to win an MVP was Alex Rodriguez, so I believe it. I buy it. I'm going to sell it for two reasons. One, I think the pressure of the record will definitely be something, especially in Yankee legacy. And two, I think there will be one injury. Didn't say he's going to get 61. I said he's going to get 60. Okay, I still think 60 is going to be hard because I also think he also going to get one IL stint at this point this year. He's been healthy all year. Kudos to him. I think kudos to the Yankees for keeping him that way, but I think he'll get one just to hold him back enough. I think 57, 58, I think he'll get. I am going to sell it. All right, one more. KD and Kyrie will be on the Nets at the start of the season. I buy it. I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't see Kyrie going anywhere because I don't think the Lakers are going to give the Nets two first round draft picks and I don't see KD going anywhere because they want too much for him so I am going to buy it both of them will be Brooklyn Nets. Two weeks ago I would have probably said no but now I'm starting to believe it a lot more. The Lakers I think they would have pulled the trigger already on Kyrie Irving Russell Westbrook if that whole thing if they were able to get it going if they were cared that much and Kevin Durant it's just too much unknowns in those trade markets to make it work DeAndre Ayton can't get traded Tyler Hero that whole situation and nobody wants that and Simmons, and he has to be off the team for the Nets to get any of these young players. So I am absolutely going to buy it at this point. I'm buying in a lot more of what you were saying the last couple of weeks. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. No more for tonight, at least. We'll be back next week as always. Thank you.
you to Brandy Jacobs for joining us. Mr. D-Dog, even though you're a Jet hater, it's okay. We still love you. You're a big part of what we have done for this show and what New York sports is all about. Thank you to all the fans that listen to us throughout the country, throughout Long Island. Keep listening to us as we are the voices of sports and rocking and rolling. Until next week, we out, baby.